I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show, a special edition on a Tuesday. I'm Big Douglas. That's the rapper Big Pooh. And he is Mr. Michael Lee. We appreciate him giving us some time today. Michael, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate this. Absolutely. That's good. Uh, Mike, get right into it. I want to start right. with uh, last night, John Wall's return to Washington. Um, he played well. Bradley played well. We even got to see them guard each other at times last night. But it still feels like we all lost not having fans in the building last night. Can you can you speak on that? There were a lot of L's last night. Um, the first one being at John's in Houston. You know, um, let's just start there. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I'm not saying that the Wizards shouldn't have traded him or, you know, that he, sh- he shouldn't be, he should be there with a Wizard for life. But I think, you know, for fans of the Wizards who had to wait two years to watch him rehab, to see him go through all that he had gone through, losing his mother, um, having two kids, to seeing how much his life had changed in the time that he was away, it was. It would have been good to see him make that return in a Wizards uniform. And I think everything that he did, all the energy he invested into being, you know, back in the floor after two years of injuries, it was to play for the Wizards. And I think it would have been nice to see him and Brad just play together because I feel like that part was robbed from everybody because you never got to see come to fruition what you had been waiting on. And I thought that anticipation, having that zapped away, led to probably more disappointment from Wizards fans. As for the game, you know, the fact that we're dealing with COVID and you can't have fans in the arena right now, uh, that that's probably – COVID is probably more disappointing than that. But I feel like if there was a homecoming that needed fans, it was John Wall's return to D.C. Um, I don't – I covered the Wizards for – I've been around the Wizards for, what, 17 years now. And so in, in my time covering them – there's not a player who had as deep a connection to the city and to his people like John Wall. Um, he loved DC. And I always feel like his, his, his love for DC was deeper than any player could have because, you know, he, he lost his father at age nine and his dad was from DC. And even though he's a Raleigh kid and he was born and raised there, um, I think being in DC and being in a place where his father, you know, grew up being around the streets that he ran, um, it allowed him to connect to that loss in a way that most athletes can't, you know. Um, and so I think that he gave his heart and soul to D.C. And you remember what everyone talks about, that game six against the Celtics, you know, when he hopped on, hit that three-pointer over Avery Bradley and hopped on the on the scoreboard and or score um, on the, on the um, what do you call it? Scores <laughs> table. On the table, yeah, on the scores table and just was like – you know, this is my city and everybody felt that like it wasn't just like for show, like everybody felt that. And even though he never won a championship, you know, you could see that there was a bond there. And it would have been cool if he was to come back for the fans to really show their appreciation to him, because obviously it didn't end the way anybody wanted it to. But the love that he had for D.C. and, you know, the love the fans had for him, it, it deserved to have a moment where he could feel it. You know, he could be in a place and get that love because we know he's had a tough couple years. Like I said, I mentioned he's losing his mom. He lost his grandmother recently too. Um, So 
to be in a place where he could and he, and he just got off the rejection from the Wizards. They just traded him. And so as much money as he's making, as much as a competitor he is, that's going to hurt to have the organization that you gave, you know, eight years, 10 years, whatever you want to say to, and then they all of a sudden say bye. You know, um, I think that, that there was, there was a lot of hurt there and there's hurt that he's still dealing with from being traded um, as, as well as he's playing. I think mentally it's still hard for him to let go because it wasn't like he asked out. They were shopping him to get rid of him. And I think that's where um, it would have been cool if he could have gotten that love from the fans, um, which I'm sure he probably misses right now. Michael, did, did they think that he was not going to be healthy? I mean, did they, did they not expect that this is what the John Wall that they were going to see? Or is this more, more than what they, you know, the more than the product on the court? I think there were a couple things. I mean, obviously we know about the gang sign video. Um, I think that's what pushed everything into fast forward, you know, to terms of getting him out of DC that hurt as a lot of people. Was concerned, right? Yeah. As far as Ted Leonsis and a lot of people within the organization, that was really hurtful to see that and to see, um, you know, him in that kind of situation. Um, it was embarrassing and, you know, um, and they felt like they needed to cut ties and just move on. Um, but I, I just feel like, you know, for the most part, um, the relationship had kind of soured, you know, the last couple of years. Cause you remember that his last, you know, season where he showed up at training camp, he wasn't in the best shape. And there was that big blow up practice where, you know, um, Brad was like, you know, I've been dealing with this for seven years. And, <laughs> you know, it was just all, he was, he was yelling at teammates and yelling at Scott Brooks and it just got really ugly. And then you could just sort of see that the team was just sort of, it was headed nowhere and you can see these last couple of years, they, they've been a pretty bad team. A lot of that is rooted in the fact that, you know, John was a healthy, but also um, John wasn't as dedicated in the off season that he needed to be. So I think there was just some frustration from the organization that just sort of led to this, um, this change. And, you know, it's unfortunate. There's never a breakup. There's rarely a breakup that's, that's amicable. <laughs> Usually it's an ugly split especially when there's a lot of passion on both sides. And this was one of those situations. Uh, Mike, that, that brings me to uh, the next thing I want to speak about is Draymond Green last mm -hmm. night. He had uh, the comments after their game speaking about what he feels is a double standard in the NBA. When um, players ask to be traded, you know, they're vilified, fined by the league. But when uh teams decide they want to trade a player they'll sit them down and they expect them to remain professional what what do you think of Draymond's comments last night well you know fan loyalty is always to the team um it's, it's rarely to the player it's only been in recent years that guys like LeBron have, have been able to go places and sort of take his fans with them you know there are people who they don't care about the Cavs they don't care about the Lakers they love LeBron. So he's one of those rare guys that can do that and just hop around and move places. But for the most part, most, most fans, um, they, they are going to be aligned with the team. You know, that's the Jersey they root for. And that's where their uh, uh, affinity for that certain player began. Um, so when that player says, I don't want to be here anymore, the fans take that personally. They, they are hurt. That's a rejection of not only the team, but to some of them, it's a rejection of them. And so that's why you see that reaction. And so I understand exactly what Draymond's saying, and I don't disagree with him, but I also do know that the reason why they're called fans is because they're fanatics, you know, which means they're not necessarily thinking rationally. 
and going to be able to step away from the situation, especially if they're passionate about their team. So if you're like the Houston Rockets and, you know, you've been riding for James Harden for the last eight years, defending him, you know, every time anybody says, you know, he's just a stat patter or he's not going to come up in the clutch and you've just been defending him and riding for him for this long. And then all of a sudden you get to this point, he's like, yo, get me out of here. And then he's not showing up. And you're like, hold up, man, I've been with you, dude. Like, why are you, why are you um, dissing me now? So fans are going to be irrational. Um, so I understand what Draymond wants, but I also know that that's not what he's going to get because the loyalty from fans is hinged on the uniform that you're in. If you're not in that uniform anymore, for the most part, you know, if you ask out, now if you get traded, they'll probably still love you, right? If you didn't ask out and, they, and the team gets rid of you, they'll probably still love you. But the minute you say, yo, man, I can't take it. Get me out of here. You know, that, that love affair will change. Like I remember, you know, Kobe retired, uh, played 20 years for the Lakers. But I remember 2007, he had a trade mm-hmm. demand and wanted to get the hell out. You know, and he did whatever he could. He, he was caught on video, you know, you know, saying trade, buying them or do whatever, like get, get him out or get whoever out, get me out, whatever. And we know that the minute he would have gone to the, say the Pistons or the Bulls or whoever they were trying to trade him to, those Lakers fans wouldn't have been loving Kobe like they love him now. The fact that he stayed there for a long time uh, and, and finished his career there, that just led to just an eternal love affair, you know, now rest in peace. But the fact that he stayed in that Laker uniform is why those those ties just kind of stayed with him. Um, but to get back to your early question, Doug, about just, um, you know, if the Wizards didn't think John Wall had it, um, I think that they didn't, they weren't patient. They weren't going to be patient to see if he did have it. And I think with Bradley Bill being in place and knowing that, um, he had he it's go time for him and for his career they wanted to have somebody in place who they didn't have to wait to see him kind of fill himself out and kind of work himself back i mean i think we're surprised that guys come off ruptured achilles like kd and john have looked kind of seamless as they return but usually that's a real slow gradual process and it takes a lot of time for you to get back to who you were and if they are building their team around john john bradley bill now and he's their future and they want to make sure he's happy because they don't want him to trade, ask for <laughs> ask for a trade. They got to do what they can to try to appease him and have somebody who's ready to go. They thought that it was going to be Russell Westbrook. And obviously he's been having his own injury issues. But I, I think that the Wizards knew what knew what John was, but they also felt that it was going to take him some time before he started to look like himself. Or there may be a case where he never does look like himself. And they found somebody who was willing to trade and they did it. They jumped on it. And they probably jumped on a little too fast because uh, John looked looked pretty decent. He looked like him looked pretty yeah. good, you know, last night too. Particularly since they shipped the extra first round with him. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of what that was. What? But um, uh, you mentioned Harden earlier. Is is that the team to beat in New Jersey now? Um, the with Nets, the Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Doug. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I ate myself. Uh, and you talk just in the East or just, or that the team to beat the team to beat in the East, you mean, or just in period? Well, really, maybe the whole thing. If, uh, if the Lakers are saying that, uh, AD is is not feeling good on that Achilles. Yeah. If AD is not right, then yeah, we might as well just, just go ahead and fold the whole season. Like we don't need (laughs) (laughs) We got all these COVID cancellations. We got all this stuff like, no, it's okay. We, we appreciate you guys for trying this year. So it's cool. Um, but no, nah, uh, serious. Um, I, I, I like Brooklyn. 
I like the fact that they had those three guys together. Uh, I, I like seeing KD back. Um, I'd love to see him win another another uh, uniform. Um, and until they can shore it up, shore up their defense, I can't go all in with them. Um, I think they'll figure it out, you know, by the end. Um, maybe they'll find a player in the buyout market or something to kind of give them an interior presence. But right now their defense is so suspect um, that I do have concerns. But I will say this. The one thing like you, to that, that may make me come around and one thing that's been encouraging about their performance is that they beat good teams. Um, when they, I think there's something like nine and one against teams that have winning records, which is crazy. Their struggles are against the bad teams because they come in feeling like they can just show up and win. And you, obviously when you're in the playoffs, everybody's good. So you're not going to have that mentality. So um, there are a couple of things, but I, I don't know if I'm ready to give it up just yet because I still – think they have some things they need to work out on the defensive end. And it's funny because we know KD is one of the best scorers we've ever seen. He's the best offensive player on the, uh, the the Nets. I think we can agree, even though Kyrie and Harden are both two bad, you know, MFs, you know, KD is also the best player right now um, on that team, but they need him more on the defensive end. They need him on the offensive end, which tells you about how good he is and how much value he has. Um, but also um, just the versatility he gives to that team. So he can't be their best defensive guy. I mean, he can be, but they need more guys who are willing to play defense for them to really be a contender to me. Um, we're, we're seeing what's going on with, with Anthony Davis. You know, it's kind of a wait-and-see thing with his, with his Achilles and his calf. Um, with that news coming out, and, and we're not sure how, you know, he's going to recover and how long it's going to take, do you see teams now being a little more active near the trade deadline than they would have possibly been pre Achilles injury for AD? Yeah, this, this is such a weird year um, where I feel like everybody feels they have a chance, you know, things is kind of watered down. Everything's sort of mediocre, you know, there's a lot of parody. Um, every time I look at the standings, I'm like, why is everybody just scrunched together? Like if you're, you could be the fifth seed, but be like close to being a 13 seed or, you know, like you're not far, far apart. Everybody's sort of in the race and it's going to be interesting to see who are the buyers and the sellers when the trade deadline comes around. But I think that the fact that, you know, the Lakers are, you know, the favorite um, because they're the defending champs. But when you see teams like Miami struggling, you see, you know, Toronto struggling, like you, you feel like, are they going to be able, are they going to be aggressive to try to add some pieces to sort of, you know, get back up to where we expect them to be um will Brooklyn make that move um and so I, I think that there are going to be a lot of teams that are going to be very aggressive um because they'll see an opening they'll see an opportunity to to, to go for it and I think the one thing that uh, I admire about the Raptors winning the championship in 2019 is that they made that trade for Kawhi and they basically expedited that championship expectations right like you got to get it now or you may never get it and so um a lot, I think a lot of teams are taking that mentality now where, you know, if, if it doesn't look like there's a clear runaway Golden State type dynasty out there that you've got no shot against, you might as well do everything you can to load up and get the best po- possible team. And so I, I think that there will be some activity, um, you know, for the teams that can make moves. Um, maybe a Denver, maybe somebody like that can, can, can do Boston, I think, needs to do something um, right now based on their roster. Um, but I, I think that since it's so wide open, we're going to see um, some a lot of activity. Are they going to keep pushing this all-star game? 
I mean, do we really need an yeah. all-star game this year? Unfortunately, I think that's that's what TNT wants. Um, there's money to be made. There's money that the players can make for the owners. But there's also a collective bargaining agreement that'll be coming up soon. And I think the players want to do whatever they can in their power to say, look, tell the owners, look at what we did. We, we went to a bubble for you guys to make y'all money. We decided to have this season start in December as opposed to January, even though we only had 70 days off in the, in the off season. We did that. You know, we, we're getting paid, but we're also making sure that the owners are lining up their pockets too. And without us agreeing to all this stuff, y'all aren't getting, y'all aren't getting these billions of dollars either. So um, I think this is more of a negotiating thing. Like, okay, you want to ask for this? Okay, we'll give it to you. But just remember that when we start negotiating, we go make sure you take care of us because we've we've given you a lot of concessions over the last couple of years. We put our bodies on the line. We're playing basketball during a pandemic, and we're giving you an all star game during a pandemic. So I think that um, it might not be an ideal situation. I know a lot of players aren't happy about the fact that they will have to get, give that weekend up, you know, um, to perform and entertain, as opposed to just being with their families and just relaxing because this has been a stressful year. This has been a right. very stressful year. You see all these postponements. You see all these uh, cases like the Wizards had missed two weeks of games because guys had, you know, had, you know, health and safety protocols they had to deal with. KD's missed a lot of games um, just for being in contact with people with, with the coronavirus. And so these guys are, are out there doing all this stuff just to make sure that everybody's pockets are lined up, including theirs. Um, but I think they're just going to sign off for it because they know in the long term, if they didn't give the owners the bubble, if they didn't give them this and they didn't give them the all-star game, then then when that collective right. bargaining comes up, they could really hurt them. I hadn't um, even thought about the collective bargaining. Yeah. So I think a lot of this is just more about um, trying to make sure that when they sit at the negotiating table, they can look at the owners and say, well, if we're going to be partners on this, you know, look at what we've done to prove that we're committed to this partnership. Um, and so I think TNT realizes that there's money to be made. Um, you know, there's not a lot of sports that, that are going to compete with them if they have a Sunday all-star game. And, um, and typically the ratings for that are, are pretty high. So um, they'll, they'll make money off of it. So as long as there's money to be made, then they're going to run out there and put the ball in the basket. <laughs> Um, Michael, do you think the NBA may be starting to lose uh, some of its cachet with players with the, you know, the all-star game decision and um, the the uh, national anthem national decision anthem. Uh, that, that happened with Dallas? Do you, do you feel like some of that some of that shine and that luster is starting to wear off between the league and the players? Yeah, I, I do. Um I also think that this is a little bit of pushback from some of the owners who might not have been happy with the social justice messaging in the bubble, you know, having black lives matter on the court, you know, seeing those type of things, players kneeling during the national anthem. Um, a lot of owners didn't say anything cause they were making money, but I don't think a lot of them were really happy with um, how that all played out. You know, they, they can't come out and say it cause we just saw George Floyd, you know, murdered, and on you know on tv last thing you want to do is come out and say why are we supporting black lives matter right now like no you need to come out and say it but i think that now you've seen the, the owners are sort of kind of flexing a bit you know and letting it be known that this is their league and that you will adhere to these rules and so 
Um, I think that that I think that's sort of what is happening. There's a little bit of a backlash from um, from the owners who are, um, you know, they 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 accommodated the players, let them, you know, they protested, you know, they they took playoff games, you know, um, protested playoff games and did a lot of things um, to let it be known that you know these are the issues that they care about. Where the owners they care about making money, and so we hope you had your little fun. Because right now we're trying to make more money and we're not trying to jeopardize our business or our constituents by upsetting them um, with all of this, you know, <laughs> national anthem talk and all of this other stuff that we're uncomfortable with, but we can't really express, but we will make it known in other ways. You know, it almost feels like all the good that the league had done, you know, with the bubble, with the social justice messaging, um, it's like once they got out of there, it's like we we we're not going back to that. <laughs> we just want to make it clear to y'all, we're not going back to that. Yeah, Michael, we root for the big man here. It feels like this is the year of the big man. It's nice to see it. It I kept looking over my shoulder like, man, they tried to root us up out of here. But uh, <laughs> they're shot in this year. Embiid's finally healthy, and that's a big deal, right? He's not been healthy like this before. He's not been healthy, but I think he's you know focused you know um I'm, I'm in philly now and i've been around him for a couple of years and he always said things that you know made you think that he may not necessarily believe it but he was pumping himself up like i should be mvp i should be defensive player of the year and he would come out and say it every year and you kind of at the while you started rolling your eyes like okay well go out and prove it this year he didn't say anything right. he just said i'm just gonna go out there and play and i think a lot of that is from doc rivers you know i think that um you can't really take it for granted that you have a coach that has probably been looking forward to having a big like this to work with his entire career. He's never had a guy like this that you could just feed in the post, you know, from his time in Orlando where he had T Mac to where he went to Boston and he had, you know, Paul Pierce and then he wound up getting KG and those guys then going to the Clippers, you know, he had Blake and Chris Paul and DeAndre, but he never had a post presence like this. And the one thing I think that I'm liking about what I'm seeing out of Joel is that he's using his size. Like he's, he's taking his height, his his weight all that and, and using it to his advantage he's pounding guys inside he's he's shooting mid-range jumpers he's not wasting his time shooting a lot of threes he, he can stress the floor if he has to but it's not focused on that they have shooters on the floor to do that for him now so all he has to do is just go out there and just be a big dude and and dominate and i think the mentality that he tried to talk himself into he's actually playing to that level now and it's been really good to see you know um you know there's 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 no more trolling there's no more bluffing. He just going out there and balling. And I think that Philly's getting behind him and he's starting to gain that confidence. And he knows, because I remember once he told me um, about two years ago, if you look at his stats, his numbers were Shaq-like. His numbers were, he had Shaq-like averages, like 28 points, 12 rebounds, and, you know, five or six. Like he had big, big time numbers, but they got, they lost in the second round and he knew that wasn't enough. And so last year they, they, were, they took a step back but now he's got a, a coach who's won a championship. Um, he's got a team around him with shooters that can really complement his game, him and Ben Simmons' game. And so he's just out there playing freer. He's not putting – he didn't add any extra pressure to himself. And so I, I love seeing him go out there and play. And you talk about other bigs. I love seeing Jokic. I love what he does. He's one of my favorite players because he makes it look effortless. He doesn't look like he's in the best shape. 
you know, he 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 looks he he moves in slow motion. Um, everything he does is just so fundamentally sound. Um, he's one of the best passing players. I I, I went to uh, Detroit, uh, Denver his rookie year. I was doing a piece on um, Michael Malone at the time, and he was he was kind of coming off the bench and just um, getting little spot minutes every now and then. But you saw in that moment that he had something that that was special. He had such a, a feel for the game. He had a flair for the game. And I remember talking to Michael Malone and how he, he knew right right then that that he was he was a special player. And they sort of created this really tight special bond um, that you can kind of see that's playing out now as his, as his career has has, uh, has gone on. The coach has the ultimate trust in him. And he has ultimate confidence in his game that there's nothing out there he can't do. And so I think that's one of the things that's, that's always kind of overlooked when you look at player success, whether it's a superstar or it's somebody at the end of the bench, having that sort of that connection with your coach and having that, that, that trust and that confidence that he instills in you, that plays a big role in how far you go and what, what you do out there on the floor. And you can see it, and these bigs who are, you know, like I said, in the MVP conversation, the fact that they have that trust from their coaches, that that's what the players, they have to get behind that too. <laughs> like if the coach says we got to feed him and get him the ball or you ain't playing, <laughs> then you better feed him the ball and, right. and, 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 and let him figure it out. And so I think that's what you're seeing right now is um, that coaches, coaches are now realizing that, you know, if everybody's going to play the same style of basketball, we're all going to shoot threes all day. We're all just going to, you know, spread the floor and do all this other stuff. What can we do that's different to separate us? Well, if we got bigs who can dominate, then we're going to ride that and see where that takes us to. And we're also going to play the other style. But when it gets time to do other things, we know we can just toss it inside and get an easy bucket. I want to switch from the big man to the point guard. Um, all right. I know it's been a short sample size so far, but did Michael Jordan finally, finally get that, potentially get that star in the draft that the, oh. the Hornets, the Charlotte team's been hoping for <laughs> for a long time in, in LaMelo? Yeah, um, he's been he's been great. Um, I, I think the one thing that, that he brings to the game that, that, that jumped out at me my first couple of times seeing him play is that he plays with a joy. And that's that's a big deal. You know, because um, some guys, you know, they play basketball to, to make money. And some guys make money playing basketball. He looks like he's making money to play basketball. Like he would do this if, if he wasn't getting paid. And that's what I love about, you know, his, his enthusiasm, you know, the types of passes that he tries, you know, um, you know, hitting guys in stride, like seeing things that nobody else can see. is Jason Kidd-like, you know. Um, but he also has the ability to step out and shoot. And so – He's going to have his ups and downs as a rookie and um, you know, but he, he seems to be the ball who's, who's living up to the hype, right. You know, his, his dad was full of bluster and out there and puffing out his chest. And, um, and, you know, and I think they all knew that eventually they were going to have to make room for LaMelo because he saw Lonzo, you know, he saw, you know, Jello, he saw exactly what D'Angelo, he saw exactly what they were doing, right. D'Angelo, I'm sorry. He saw exactly what they were doing. And he was able to study that and figure out what was best for him. And he had a kind of awkward sort of high school 
kind of, you know, pre-NBA life where he just bounced around and did a lot, a lot of different things and never was steady or stable. But now he's in a stable NBA environment where he can just focus on just playing ball. And uh, it's, it's fun to see. I mean, um, you know, he mentioned MJ. Uh, you know, he, he, he's made some moves that people are like, what, why is he signing Gordon Hayward? Why is he trading for Terry Rozier? What is this going on? Um, but they got a fun team in Charlotte. Um, it'd be interesting to see who else they can add going forward. But having a playmaking point guard who looks like he loves the game, that, that's a great start. Michael, you're back with the post now. You have a different role there, right? You're not primarily focused on basketball. And I'm assuming it allows you to do a lot of interesting, cool things that just pique your fancy. I, uh, I saw, I didn't read because I wanted to hear a little bit about it from you. The uh, story you did about the young man down in uh, Mississippi, right? With the yeah, football Mississippi team. State. It was pretty yeah. incredible there, right? <clears throat> yeah, Kylan Hill. Um, he was a... Uh... I think he was third in the SEC in rushing last year. He had 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns. And um, he was slated to sort of be uh, a big stud in the SEC this year. He was going to have an awesome season. Um, but last summer, there was a lot of controversy, obviously, with George Floyd. And there was a push to change the Mississippi State flag that was gaining a lot of momentum, um, you know, especially after the George Floyd incident. And But then it kind of hit a bit of a wall with the governor um and so the governor put out you know a comment about you know a proposal to have two two types of flags and um and so he just responded it's like if you don't change this flag i ain't i, don't, I can't represent this state anymore and it just sort of sent a joke through every to everybody like this kid said he's not playing for mississippi state if we don't change this flag and we all know the confederate uh symbol that that's been on that mississippi state flag uh for 126 years um, which is crazy. And you know, it's, it was only there, you know, in response to Black Reconstruction. And it was just their way of sort of, you know, putting white supremacy just in full force, which is wild considering Mississippi has like the, I think the largest um, percentage of African-Americans that live in a state is in Mississippi. And so there have been attempts in the past to change the flag, um, but nothing, you know, really came to fruition until just now. And so um, now a lot of people were involved with this, including some Republicans in, in the uh, state legislature. But um, I, always, I, I wrote that, you know, basically Colin was, he had the ball at the one yard line and he, he punched it in, you know, to where, you know, eventually they changed the flag. And, um, and so this year was supposed to be a, a breakout year for him playing in the Mike Leach's um, air raid attack. But it was sort of a weird year because he had a great year, great opening night against LSU, um, just destroyed the defending champs. And then he had a concussion the next day. And then he had another good game, but the team lost to Kentucky. And um, right after that game, he found out that his brother had COVID. And so while talking, his little brother, um, his little brother who had just had brain surgery, um, was recovered from brain surgery, had COVID. So he was thinking the worst that his brother would die, you know? Um, so when he was talking to his mother, um, he just, they just decided probably best if he just didn't focus on playing football and just trained for the NFL draft. So he kind of um, punted on, you know, his, his senior year um, after it was a lot of expectation for him. And so I had a chance to just catch up with him and just talk about just what the last year had been like, what he had learned, um, some of the things he encountered um, after putting out that tweet, some of the things that his family encountered, um, his mother said that, you know, someone called her house and 
uh, basically said, um, you know, are you Colin Hill's mom? And she said, yeah. He said, well, you're a nigger. Your son's a nigger. And then just called her nigger, 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 nigger until um, she hung up. <laughs> and he, there was a letter um, that his grandmother got at his house, at her house, that was addressed to Colin. And um, she never, she didn't, she said she didn't read the whole thing. She said the, she read the first line was like, hey, dickhead. And, um, you know, Colin had to deal with some things on social media to where he just had to mute that, that tweet that he put out. And um, he said that uh, he had, um, you know, everywhere he went, kind of in Star in Starksville was um, people would pull out their phones and start talking to him and, or taking pictures of him. And so he never knew, like, if they were just like fans that just wanted to take a picture of him or if they were people he needed to be worried about. And so he didn't really care. So he sort of became a bit of a recluse. And so I think that a lot of this stuff sort of just made it a very stressful year, you know, because he's, he's 22 and he's, you know, <laughs> coming out against the, the Mississippi State flag. Like I said, it's been there for generations. Um, it didn't, didn't make everybody happy. So um, now he's trying to, you know, make it in the NFL. Uh, he might go between the third and fifth rounds, but um, uh, it's but basically it'll be off of what he did his junior year because he didn't give him anything. So these type of stories are fun. I'm excited that I get to tell these type of stories and, and do that in addition to my, um, to writing about the NBA. I, I just wanted to some, try something different and uh, try new challenges and, and uh, tell different stories because I covered the league for 19 years. And, um, and, you know, sometimes I felt like I was writing the same story with just, you know, cut and pasting a different name. <laughs> um, but now I feel like I'll be able to tell, you know, the stories that just good stories, whether it's an NBA story, college football, college basketball, whatever it may be. And um, I'm excited about the possibilities. I'm definitely excited about being back at the Washington Post. Um, I use the example of, um, you know, Dwayne Wade, you know, when, um, you know, he, he left the heat and he went to, you know, <laughs> Cleveland, Chicago and Cleveland. And, um, you know, it was cool, but, you know, there, there's, there's a place that, that was home, it was Miami, and that's where he belonged. That's kind of how I felt about the post. You know, I've been a couple places, um, but there's one place that felt, felt like home, you know, for me in my career. And so I'm glad to be back. Michael, before we let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about music. Okay. I noticed, I noticed, I follow you on Twitter, and I noticed you talk about, you know, hip hop often. Yeah. What are you listening to these days? Oh man, well a lot I listen to I listen to a lot of old school R and B with my son. Um mm-hmm. you know, um because that's that's all I can really play. I wanna play hip hop, but I noticed that a lot of um like stuff on uh streaming services, they don't have a clean version. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't necessarily wanna play like I wanna play Snoop for him. I wanna pay play, you know, Nas for him, I wanna <laughs> play like all these legends of uh, hip hop for him, but I don't wanna have him cussing in the house and have my wife look at me. <laughs> because um you know she's like wait where did you learn that <laughs> you know I, I i i keep it with al green and uh you know ronald isley you know <laughs> that's a little cleaner i mean the, the 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 song messages might be not as clean but the at least the words are um uh so um but yeah but I, i've been um listening to griselda a lot you know that that crew um i love i love their energy it takes me back to the 90s you know hip-hop mm-hmm. is what i always love um and so uh i was probably blasting that that uh that the latest nas i probably wore that out 
Um, that's something that that just I loved hearing that with him with um with Hit Boy. I thought that was a great collaboration. Um, but you know, for the most part, um, I know I, I my 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 bio on Twitter. I said I used to love hip hop, and I think it confuses a lot of people who may not have ever heard of Common, you know, <laughs> and may not understand <laughs> the reference, you know, right uh, from that song. Um, and that's that's always how I feel like. Um, and so me, you know, I grew up in the, in the you know, 90s and uh, and I, I love CDs. I love CDs. You know, I remember going to the, to the record store and, and buying like CDs. I remember like in 1998, you know, coming home with, you know, um, you know, Outkast, Tribe, Jay-Z, you know, like all these on the same day, like, like all this stuff just dropped, like, um, and just reading the liner notes and, and seeing where the samples were coming from, seeing who was singing background vocals on these songs and like just taking it all in. And I feel like we lo- we've lost that with all of these, you know, iTunes and everything. Cause you just hear the music and you just kind of go on about your day. But for me, I always want to learn, I always want to learn how these songs came together. You know, um, the other day, like I, I said, I was listening to, um, I was listening to, um, to like r and B and I was listening to just Al Green and I just up and just heard like um, the sample that um, that uh, that uh, Benny the Butcher and um, <clears throat> and uh, and uh, uh, Black Thought on, on that song um, was it a King Crown? Is that what it is? Or oh, Crowns, I, I Crowns know for Kings. Yeah. Crowns for yep. Kings. Yeah. So I was listening to the Al Green track, and it was like ten second, like a little ten second snip that became the whole beat. And I'm like, I'm loving this beat. And I'm like, man, like for me, like I heard that song and I love that song, but like I'm over here listening to to like Al Green and like I got to find the, the sample now as opposed right. to like, you know, just having the, the track and the liner note and saying, oh, it's an Al Green song that they sample to get that beat. And that's, that's always like for me, like for music, it was just something that I listened to, but I learned from too. And I could always appreciate how like the beats came together. I could also appreciate, you know, lyricists and how they flowed over tracks. And so like for me, like hip hop was something that was always inspirational. You know, I would listen to it to, to write my stories. I listened to it to get, you know, hyped up or I listened to it if I was down or upset, you know, or, you know, just whatever, you know, hip hop was always there for me. And it was a soundtrack to my life. Um, my life has changed now. Um, obviously I'm a father now I got two um, kids under age four and so um, I want to make sure that they get an appreciation for hip-hop but I don't exactly know how to do it just yet and I don't know when I can play the songs that I want to play for (laughs) just yet right (laughs) like I can't play the chronic for my for my three-year-old and then just have him you know all of a sudden be like we don't love these hoes like i can't have him say that in the house (laughs) at all no 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 not not if i want to still be married right 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 um so so yeah but i'm I'm listening to just 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 whatever i can that's 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 um that takes me back to you know where i was um you know in the 90s you know outcast obviously um you know um I still listen to the purple tape, you know, whenever I, I want to, just because it's just fantastic. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot out there that uh, that I listen to, but for the most part, um, it's mo- it's mostly just been old school music because my son's loving it. He's loving the jazz that I play for him. He's loving um, the miles that I'm playing for him. 
um, like he his, his his name is Jacob, and so um, I uh, <laughs> he he's been taking the uh, the beat to so what you know by by um, by Miles Davis you know he's been saying his name to the little he's been saying Jacob like like I feel like I'm I'm teaching him right because he's saying oh, his yes. name and and he's getting it and um and so I I feel like I'm gonna bring him along slowly I'm I'm gonna start him off with little jazz, a little R&B. Make sure, you, make sure you check that Stan Getz out when you're in the jazz department. Okay. You've never, you've never heard Stan Getz before, saxophone player, incredible. I have not. I have not, but I, I will check him out. Yeah. For sure. Well, who are you listening to, just so I, I can get hip to oh, who I should be listening to? Uh, I, it's around the same. Uh, Griselda, of course. Um, a huge Benny fan. Um, uh <laughs> I'm not a. I don't really listen to a lot of the new stuff. Um, Me either. Yeah. I'm a. I'm a. I'm an older guy. Always checking for the favorites. I just uh, was listening to the Judas and the Messiah soundtrack. So. Oh yeah. Um, they have the new uh, Nipsey and Jay Z song on there. Yeah. Which is pretty pretty good. Um, you, you like the I, little jabs? Jay took it. Uh, Drake. Jay is always taking jabs. <laughs> he is, he's, the, he's the jab king. He is. If you, if you, if you know how to decipher. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely, I like the Saba, Saba and uh, Smino song on there. Um, they're younger guys. So uh, I, I haven't been listening to a lot of music lately because I've been in uh, writing and, uh, and helping uh, do an uh, album for my artist, Luke, that signed to Dreamville. So Okay. I haven't been been getting into a lot of music. I don't want it to seep through subconsciously, but I'm definitely on the prowl and always checking out uh, the the guys I grew up listening to for sure. For sure, yeah, yeah. But thanks, Mike. We we appreciate Man, you coming bro. on. Appreciate the time and anytime, and, you know, anytime. Hope you hope you success, and we'll definitely be reading you know the articles you're putting out now oh, that you're sure. back at the post, especially. <laughs> yeah, are you, are you gonna be dropping anything soon? Uh, not soon. I mean, I have some stuff coming. Just Lucy's coming, but uh, I got to get back in the lab and work. It's it's it's, yeah. it's work time now yeah. that uh, I done made it through twenty twenty. It's time to put the work hat back on. For sure. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You did put out some uh, some previously unreleased stuff last Friday on Bandcamp, right? I did. I forgot already. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Let me check. <laughs> yeah, it's it's up That's on. That's what uh, I'm here for. Don't even worry about. It. I got you. It's up on streaming <laughs> services as well. It's called What Was Lost, Volume One. Uh, it's it's songs from 2008 to 2010, uh, oh, wow. and uh, I have another volume coming out next month uh, with songs from 2010 to 2018. I think it is. Wow. Uh, I, I have a lot of unreleased material over here. Uh, just going through, picking out the ones, the ideas that are more more like complete uh, yeah. than, than other ones, and just releasing them. You know. We're, I'm not making this stuff to sit on my computer. You know, I don't okay. want to do a Dr. Dre and have bolts and bolts of music on my computer. So <laughs> uh, just releasing some of it to the world as, as I gear up and get ready for my uh, next uh, current release. Made a little watch. Was that that was all recorded in the same period or was that same period? That was uh, uh, from t- October 2018 until August 2019. <laughs> That's wow. It was it was all recorded during that period, and everything we had we put up. Like there was no leftover songs, no nothing. It's just everything we did we used. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yep. 
All right. Well, thanks, fellas. This this has been good. Uh, no problem. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Right, appreciate you. you. Take care. All right. You too.